movies that at first thought, I, I thought, well, we'll get through the whole book by the end of Easter, by Easter. And then I start looking through the Gospel of Mark, which happens to be the shortest of the Gospels. Uh, I was a little ambitious, thinking that in, uh, you know, nine weeks we could tackle the whole book. Uh, you know, that isn't going to happen, but we're going to start uh, the book of Mark, and uh, we will be here for, well, until we get through it. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm sure that brings you guys confidence, because you're like, well, how much, how much, at some point in time, you will pray the prayer of Revelation, how long, O oh Lord? Uh, you know, and, what is that, Sue? Uh-huh. No, you, you, you will not. See, this is where the Spirit will take the groanings that you have, uh, you know, and say, just a little while longer. I, I love it. I'm not sure who I was talking to this week, whether it was my kid or one of our other kids. And I said something about soon, and they said, yeah, is it uh, yours, my soon, or Jesus' soon? That, that was you? Yeah. All right. You know, I knew, I knew it came... You know, I was talking to someone smart, intelligent, right? Yeah, you. That's right. That's right. Noah's running our, our chat this morning. Uh, but we will be there, and I hope you will, uh, you know, as with everything, this will be a challenging time, an important time, but to remind us, really, of kind of the continuation of last week, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the beginning of Mark, Mark, as he writes, and Mark is a very quick, Peace book. There's going to be a whole lot of immediacies and at once and boom and boom until we get to the time of uh, the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' life, where all of a sudden Mark says, let's take a look a little bit deeper, longer. And that was the draw for me. But we read these words in Mark 1 1, the beginning of the gospel. Or other translations, it's the beginning of the good news, they're the same. The gospel ought to be good news. And the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark is writing at a time when, when the, the church was suffering and they were being persecuted. Mark is probably the earliest gospel written. Matthew and Luke, if you read them side by side, you, you know there's a whole lot of similarities going on. And, and, and Mark is writing. He, he, he's letting them know. And, 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 and we don't know exactly when he pens or wrote this. But we know he was trying to encourage the church with his message about who Jesus is. The gospel was written for those who were suffering, who were persecuted, who were longing for the day when, when the words of Jesus himself would ring true, I come back. If I go, I will come back. Mark was probably a very close friend, confidant of Peter, the apostle. 
Mark was also alongside of Paul in the book of Acts. We know Paul and Mark didn't see eye to eye at times, but Mark is also a reminder that reconciliation can happen because Paul at the end of his life says, and also Mark. Something happened, but when we get a hold of the gospel of Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus, maybe a better way to say this, when the gospel of Jesus gets a hold of us, what seems impossible becomes possible. Because of the power of the gospel, because of what the gospel is. I believe Mark is, in essence, writing a biography of Jesus. That's why we see things here that we don't see maybe in the others. And Mark is very, in fact, as we start out, many of us, if we want a biography, we want what? We want to know when did they, when were they born, how were they born, and all that. And Mark is saying that's not as much importance here. But he is, uh, he is looking primarily at Jesus, answering the question, who is Jesus? Wanting the early church to be reminded of who is Jesus. And why is that important? Especially as they're longing and they're wondering, how much longer can I go? And maybe that's what you or your heart is there. How much longer do we have to? Or when will things be made right? Or I, I'm just tired and weary, and I just don't know that I can do it again. The answer to that question becomes whether or not we will see Jesus and who he is. Who is Jesus? Mark has lots of questions that are going to come up as we navigate this book. One of those will be, what kind of teaching is this? By what authority can this man do this? Who do you say I am? What, what, who is this man? And Mark is going to highlight in different ways answers to those questions. But he lays out in the very beginning um, verses here his answer. He doesn't leave us to wonder. See, there are some biographies that sometimes we are left to wonder whether or not the author, what they really meant to portray. You know, if, and, and I've read some biographies that I started. One of the ones I want to finish, but I've yet to get there, is not really a biography, it's an autobiography, meaning the writer himself was writing of uh, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Uh, you know, he was a very interesting guy in many ways, uh, but the fact that he dictated in his will, basically, that his autobiography, the first volume, would only be able to come out a hundred years after his death, says something there. I have the first volume, literally, it is probably three to four inches thick, and it is not large prints. For many years, I used it to prop my computer on, so I could stand. I decided I couldn't really read it. It was a little hard, so I listened to it one summer or the first couple hours while I mowed the grass. And even then, I just go, my goodness. 
I'm just at the bits volume one. You're left wondering what is the purpose of that. I told, I, I like history, and uh, I told Alicia that uh, the next book she can buy me, which is always, you know, one of those things of, do I really need another book? And I probably own digitally and not digitally over um, a couple thousand volumes, okay, um, of things. But I said, if there's one you're looking to get, I have fallen uh, to really enjoy uh, the life uh, of President Rutherford B. Hayes. Uh, he has a museum up in Fremont, Ohio that I've frequented. In fact, that's the first presidential museum and library that ever existed. Uh, really neat place, and I really kind of just enjoy. You know, like, um, if you don't know history, you might be interesting to hear that Hayes uh, won the very first disputed election where he actually got less than the popular votes at the time. Does that ring, you know, ring a bell, you know, any time in our recent history? And he was there, you know, uh, with that. He was the first where there was debate whether he won or his opponent, but fortunately for him, his opponent conceded uh, before they could really figure everything probably out. And uh, what an interesting history that is. And, and I told said, go ahead and buy this one for me, and uh, Lord willing, and, uh, she will do that, because I'm looking forward to learning more of that time in our history as we got past the Civil War, and even during Hayes' time, it was not unified. The war may have been over, but we were not unified. And I go, wow, I think there's some similarities so I, I'm just hoping to read. But sometimes we are wonder, what does the person believe? But Mark lets us know at the very beginning, he is going to tell us in this biography, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's son. And he's going to prove that thought in everything he does. So though we will see that sometimes the disciples of Jesus don't quite get it, Mark is not worried about the disciples of Jesus, though he was a close companion of Peter. And Peter probably gave him most, if not all, of these stories, in my opinion. He's not worried about the disciples. He doesn't care if the disciples look like they're stubborn, hard-nosed, and it just the truth won't get through their skull. Because it's not about them. It's about Jesus. And I think we need to be reminded of that. If we want to learn to persevere in this world, we can't look at how we don't get it right or how we do get it right. We've got to look at the one who is God, Jesus himself. And so he says this, Jesus is he is the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And this Dropping down to verse 7. And this was his message. After becomes the one more powerful than I, 
The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels attended him. What an interesting beginning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may be going, what in the world is going on? And we may want to get tied up in some of these things, but if we remember that the point of Mark is to answer the question, who is Jesus, we need not get in the weeds about some things. Like John the Baptist. Like, what in the world is he doing? Mark doesn't necessarily care. I mean, he cares, but the point isn't John the Baptist. John the Baptist will only have one other time that he does any kind of speaking, and that is right before his death in chapter 6. But Mark doesn't want the early church to wonder about this prophet that came before. He doesn't give us any of the details of the other Gospels. Because all that matters in essence for Mark at this stage is what role does John the Baptist play in answering the question, who is Jesus? And, and so we get this idea. Now, there's a whole lot of illusions, and there's a lot of things dripping in this passage that I think we need to be reminded of, because it also helps answer the question, who is Jesus? Or what is Jesus about? So there's uh, two really big ideas in this passage to some extent. The Jordan River and the wilderness. And they're directly tied one to the other. <coughs> the Jordan River isn't like our Mad River. Okay, I mean, it's a nice river. It's always cold. I believe it stays somewhere around, uh, you know, 45 to 55 degrees all the way around. You know, um, you know, it's nice. In the summer, you can go kind of tubing or rafting down it. You know, people are baptized in it. Uh, you know, but that's just kind of like scenic river. That's not what the Jordan River is. Though there are times, as we read in our passage, they were baptized there, but there was a whole lot of significance here. It very well, if you look in modern day, would be like this idea of the Mississippi River, where it is a boundary line between one area of Israel's history and another. The boundary line of the Promised Land and the wilderness. The Jordan River was the one that said, we have finally come to where God has led us. And Jesus and John the Baptist, John the Baptist is preparing this way where he says, if you want to know where God is leading you, it is a place of repentance when things will be right. And Jesus comes in and he's baptized in the Jordan River. And as some scholars believe, and I, I, I like the way they think, at least 
this time around. They're saying, look, why, we, can, we can ask the question, but Mark isn't asking, why was Jesus baptized? Well, that's not important. You go, well, how's that not important? Because Mark doesn't seem to care why Jesus was baptized, other than the fact that it seems to say here in the Jordan River, which was the hallmark of the nation of Israel, going from one place into the other land, here is the one where God is working. He's bringing you to this moment and in this person. Here, O Israel, is your hope. Here is where you will find the true promise land. Here is where God is bringing about something new. And then we read right away, immediately Jesus goes where? Out into the wilderness. And I believe it is here we start to see the, not only the question, who is Jesus, but the question of what does Jesus come to bring? And he comes to bring about a new exodus, a new beginning, a new start. See, the nation of Israel was waiting, and, and cloaked in the passages of Isaiah that Mark kind of uh, brings about, and if you do our devotions, which you can find online or in our app or on your handout if you're in person, if you come in and get a bulletin, it, it'll be there. You know, where, where the nation of Israel was waiting for a new exodus, they saw what Isaiah was saying and he said, we need a new beginning. We need new life. How is that going to look? And we see here that, that when Jesus comes on the scene, Mark is saying, this is new life. To those wondering, can I continue on? Look to the one who is new life. To the one who's not sure how much more you can take, you look to the one who has gone through the wilderness, who brings you into the promises of old. The one who brings about new beginnings. The one that the hope of the nations rests in. That's, I believe, part of the point here. And he goes in, unlike Matthew, unlike Luke, we don't know any of those temptations. Because Mark doesn't want us to get bogged down in those details to some extent. Because when we're just trying to put one foot in front of the others, it's like, just tell me what I have to know to move forward. I, I, I can't handle much more. And some of you may be on what I call decision fatigue. You've made so many decisions, you're just like, someone just tell me what to do. You know, there, there are times that Felicia will say, uh, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't. No. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I can't decide something else. There are some days I make probably close to a hundred different decisions, and I go home at night, and the last decision I want to make is what do I want to eat? I really don't care. And she's like, do you want this, this, or this? I'm like, sure. She's like, but I want it. I don't care. Just, yeah. 
you know, because I know she's not going to give me anything that, that I probably, you know, will, will die from. So, you know, in all those bands, I can do a sniff test beforehand, you know, and, and check. But, but when we, and this is the state of the early church that would receive this book. They, they can't worry about lots of things. They just need to know what is Jesus about, and he is the one you can continue on. Because of who he is, you can continue on. Who is Jesus? The book asks. And here we read the answer. Jesus is God's beloved. He is the loved one of God. This imagery of the baptism of Jesus, the way it is written here, it's, it's as if Jesus alone is the one who first hears this. It's not made known to everyone. It doesn't say to them, hey, this is my son, whom I love. He says here, you, singular, are my son, whom I love. A reminder of God's anointing. When we sang the song this morning, in the early church in Mark would have said, if you are following Jesus, what is true of Jesus is true of you. And so you could say today, if you are in Jesus, that you are God's beloved. Have you ever thought of saying to yourself, because of Christ, that these words that were pronounced at Jesus' baptism can be pronounced at you? We're going to have a baptism in a couple months. And maybe I need to say these words to everyone who is baptized. You are. Uh, Noah, I'm just going to You've already been baptized. But I can say, Noah, you are God's son because of Christ, and he loves you. What if we said that to ourselves? Not to puff ourselves up, but if you're weary and you're not sure how lovable you are. You are being told by the world around you, you, not, you are not lovable. You do not add up. To hear these words that if you are in Christ and what is true of Christ is true of you, and to hear the words, you are my daughter. You are my son, whom I love. I am pleased. How many of us Long to have our parents say, not only do I love you, man, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. you, you you've done amazing things. Parents, how often do we say that to our kids? Oh, no, back down. <laughs> The Spirit will do the convicting. You don't have to. No, but really. He said, well, they know. Yeah, I know they know. But, but it won't hurt to tell them. Do you think Jesus didn't know he was loved by God? Okay. Tell them. Grandparents, tell it to your grandkids. Church people, have you ever thought about telling it to the kids in the church, but then also going to mom and dad and say, you know what? Man, you must have done something right. They turned out pretty. They turned out okay. How can you even do it? No. 
think that they are loved and that you, you are pleased with what they are doing. You know, that goes a long way. It goes a really long way. You know, church, and this is just for us and those of you watching online, if you are part of a different church normally and you're watching us because your church is canceled this morning, you know, we have lots of young kids right now. All right? Uh, can, can I just say, you know, encourage mamas and daddies? You know? That, that, that you, you're doing okay. But you do not have no reason. You are. It may not feel that way. I don't know just because I'm here. Right? Right? It may not feel that way, Mom. But you are. And you are loved. By God Almighty in Christ, but by this church. You know, John and Jeanette, yeah, I look the wrong way. You know, sorry. I, I know you guys are doing well. I mean, we got a little one right here. Alright? That's right, she takes after me, she's perfect. <laughs> yep, I knew that look was coming. All right, encourage them. Encourage them. You guys are doing all right. I mean, have you guys brought these little ones out in the cold? I don't know about that. That just joined my heart for y'all, so it was crazy. And that's okay. But church, what if we went around and we encourage, especially those who have young ones, and then you got to think about it, but don't just encourage them. What about the others? You're done, all right. You are okay. You are the beloved of God. If you are in Christ, you are loved today. And if we answer the question that Jesus is God's beloved, and Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus prepares the way for us, and we are to follow that way, then I need to treat you as you are loved by God. You are loved. And Jesus reminds us of that. And then lastly, this morning, Mark is letting us know that Jesus prepares the way for us to follow. We have this interesting dynamic between Jesus and John the Baptist, and the quote here is, I will send my messenger ahead of you and who will prepare your way. You know, most of the time we think of this truly as just John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. But as I read this week, quite a few many scholars also believe an appropriate way of understanding this is a way like this. And I believe the writer of Hebrews picked this up. Where God says, I, God, will send my messenger, Jesus, ahead of you, who will prepare the way for you. And if you are suffering in a persecuted church and you're wanting to know how I continue on, you don't look for new ideas. You look for, as Hebrews says, the pioneer, the perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Who, immediately after his baptism, went into the wilderness. So we, church, may have to go into the wilderness. But guess what? Jesus has already been there. 
and he's left a trail. It's kind of like the old saying where, you know, if you go into the forest and you want to try to weave breadcrumbs so you find your way back. See, but we're not looking to go back. What we're looking for are the signposts that Jesus has already left to say, hey, here's the way. Here's how you know. Even when you go through the darkest valley, even if you are in the wilderness and you are tempted by the chief demon, arch demon himself, Jesus has already gone there. And he is gone. That's where we see. We don't know many of things, but all we know is this. Satan himself understands who Jesus is and probably wanted to thwart him, but he couldn't prevail. The wild beasts and the animals, they know who Jesus is, and so there's no idea if he was ever at harm because of that. There is an idea because of Jesus that something new is happening. And thirdly, the angels and all of the supernatural know this Jesus. And friends, as we go through this book, we will see those three sub-characters always get across. The demons don't ever question who he is. The winds and the winds and the deserts and the storms of Jesus' life don't ever ask, who is he? They just obey. The angels are there pronouncing who he is. So I ask you this. Who is Jesus to you? What is Jesus doing in your life? Where has Jesus already blazed the trail and he's calling you? I have prepared the way. Are you in it? Are you a part of it? See, we don't have to look for necessarily uh, much other than where has Jesus already gone? Now Jesus is doing a new thing here and that's going to disrupt things. Jesus is doing a new thing even today, and that may disrupt us, but Jesus has already gone before us. So when I'm ready to throw in the towel, all I gotta do, and this is where Hebrews comes alongside, says, look forward and look around at those who are encouraging us to keep pressing on. Jesus has already gone where we are going. We just got to find him. And really, we don't find him. He calls us and finds us. But we do it together. Who is Jesus to you today? Who do you need Jesus to be today? Not that we make him in our own image. That ain't going to work. We're going to miss it. That the Gospel of Mark will remind us over and over again, even those closest to him missed it. <laughs> Because at one time, as we will see, he actually turns to Peter, a close associate of Mark, and says, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. But he missed it. But Jesus was saying, look, as long as you are behind me, you can see where I'm going. But if you're in front of me, you never know where I'm going. And I wonder if sometimes as we start the new year, our prayer may need to be, Lord, 
may I always be behind you, never in front of you, and may I always be looking to find you. Jesus says, seek, and you shall find. We pray for the Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can answer this question, who are you? You are the Messiah. You are what our hearts long for. You are everything Scripture has ever talked about. All roads lead to you. And that we don't have to go figure this out on our own. Instead, Lord, all we, it's not all like it's simple, but all we have to do is follow you. And yeah, we're going to mess up, but as long as we keep you in front of us, and we keep searching, and we keep looking for you, the path will come forward, and we will be able to do what we were meant to do, and that is persevere until the end. We will be able to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourselves. We will be able to do what seems impossible. And that is, turn the world upside down. Not because of us. <laughs> now we will be stubborn, stiff-necked, censored in the walls around you, but because of who you are. And Lord, we thank you for this word this morning. <coughs> we thank you for this word today. Now may we go out asking how we can show you to a world around Lord, we thank you for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we do. You know, uh, it's on the handout if you have a good person. You know, what is Jesus saying to you? You know, where do you need help? And who needs to hear it? Who needs to hear something you've heard today? Don't keep it. But may we continue to uh, focus on Jesus this day and 